seven weeks ago, I introduced this series, Heart to Heart with Heaven, with, the, with these words, with these following words. Uh, as a church, I want us to be making the most of this physical distancing to retool, retrain, and refocus. Now, a lot has changed over these past few weeks since this series, series started. There have been uh, wide, widespread Black Lives Matter protests all over the world. Uh, there was a successful space launch to the International Space Station. Uh, New Zealand has now lifted nearly all of its restrictions, and most of Ontario has, is now into phase two of opening up. Life is changing. The world is changing. And you and I are changing as well. Now, in that first message on Matthew 6, I said this, that, that my hope is that when we come back together, that we will be more spirit-filled, more Christ-focused, and more, more God-glorifying that uh, step by step, we can all draw closer to God, learning how to abide, to remain in him. Last week, um, or over this past week, a working document has been released from the province called A Framework for Reopening Our Province fa um, Stage 2. And it's a useful reference tool. But what we've been learning throughout this series is infinitely more important Matthew 6, 5 through 15 has been for us a framework for reopening not our province, but our hearts to Father God. We've learned that transformative prayer takes place in the secret room with the door closed. We've learned that we can pray simply because, because uh, Father God hears us and knows what we say even before we say it. The first three lines in Jesus' prayer in Matthew 9 and 10 focus on God and, and God's character. That he's with us and way beyond us. That he's worthy and that he's working. And then the last three lines zero in on how God meets our needs. Our Father feeds us as we have faith in him. Our Father forgives us as we, we forgive. And this morning, our Father frees us as we follow him. We need freedom. So we need to follow him. Matthew 6 verse 13 says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, when you think about it, or when you first hear it, that sounds like a bit of a strange request, because it sounds like we're pleading with God not to lead us astray, not to lead us into temptation, like he's wanting to lead us into temptation, and we're kind of, you know, having to say, No, God, please don't, don't lead me into temptation. And that's absurd, right? That's an absurd picture. James 1 verse 13 is clear that when, that when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But what Jesus is doing in Matthew 6 verse 13 is he's using this kind of rhetorical tool or this rhetorical way of asking for God's protection from temptation, Matthew 6 verse 13 is clear that temptation is real and that it's a regular feature of all of our lives. I mean, this is in, in Jesus' keystone prayer. So temptation is real. It's always there. And anyone who tells you otherwise is probably lying. you ever had those moments when you're really tempted to sin and you think, well, what's the point of resisting? It'll happen anyways. It's either sooner or later, so I may as well get it over and done with. Or I've earned this. I've been so good, God, and I've done so much good for you. Now it's a little bit of me time. 
Have you ever thought like that? I know that I have. We can treat sin as if it's a foregone conclusion. But Matthew 6 verse 13 tells us that that reasoning, that thinking is wrong. Because this prayer tells us that there is a way out. There is a way to freedom that God can and will rescue us. That's what the second half of Matthew 6.13 is about. God will never lead us into temptation, but he will lead us into freedom. Our Father frees us as we follow him. He feeds us as we live in faith. He forgives us as we forgive, and he frees us as we follow him. So are you following him? Psalm 23 verse 5 tells us that uh, our good shepherd prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Now on Monday morning as I was meditating on this, and uh, God said to me through Psalm 23 verse 5, he said this to me, I'm ready to fill you at your point of greatest temptation. Okay, just think about that. I'm ready to fill you at your point of greatest temptation. He said, you often think of temptation being the choice between sinning and not sinning, but really it's a choice between uh, who are you going to allow to fill you. And, and friends, where does God prepare this table for us? Is it far from the battlefield? Is it in some retreat somewhere? Is it in a spa? Is it, is it, is it in a conference? Is it at a country club? Is it somewhere where we're safe and we can let our guard down? No. He equips us and fills us and prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. They're right there looking at us and God prepares a table for us there. This means that when Satan is launching everything that he has at you, then that is the place that God meets you. And that's what Matthew 6.13 tells us, that God is ready to fill us at our greatest point of temptation. God is saying to you in that moment, look, you don't have to go down that route. In fact, look what I have here for you instead. He's ready to rescue you. Sin makes us an offer by appealing to our appetites. This is known as temptation, but then God comes along and makes us a counter offer, a much, much better offer, a counter offer of rescue, of deliverance. On uh, Saturday morning, I was reading my Bible and meditating on Psalm 19. And as I was reading this psalm, I felt God impress upon me that Psalm 19 is the key that unlocks Matthew 6 verse 13. And so feeling quite excited, I started reading through Psalm 19, especially from verse 7 onwards. And God kept drawing links between Psalm 19 and Matthew 6 verse 13. And this really is um, one of the wonders of Scripture, right? That God can use this passage over here to unlock this passage over here. You see, this, this, this verse over here might not make a lot of sense or it might feel rather flat. But then you read this verse over here and suddenly this verse comes alive. It makes sense. And so please keep your finger in Matthew chapter 6, which is our key text. But then turn with me to, Matthew, uh, to Psalm 19 as we will be fl- um, flipping back and forth and seeing how Psalm 19 illuminates Matthew 6. So let's start with Psalm 19 verse 12. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. 
Now, the psalmist is, 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 is showing us that we need someone outside of ourselves to show us where we're starting on a path that will lead to sin. And sometimes these sins are open and they're obvious and they're willful and we know when we did it and maybe those folks around us know as well. But sometimes they are hidden sins. They are secret sins. And we, so we need God in his grace to illuminate those secret sins to us. Look, there's one over there. Look, there's one here as well. Now, I love seeing birds in nature. I love taking photos of them. I, I know, I... I love seeing birds. Now, when we're on a walk as a family, often I will be the one that notices the bird sooner than Wendy and the kids. Now, why is this? Well, it's because I'm tuned in. I'm looking for them. I'm expecting to see them. And God is tuned into our sin. And we often aren't. And so that's why we pray this Psalm 19 verse 12 prayer. Um, or verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. You see these sins, Lord. Help me to see them so that I can avoid them. Now, this is starting to sound very similar to Jesus' words, lead us not into temptation, right? Keep your servant from willful sins. Lead us not into temptation. And so the key to not going down the route of temptation is to let God be your guide so that he can show you the wrong way and the right way. Humility is admitting that our spiritual eyesight is not as good as we think it is. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs 14 verse 12. Now, Maybe you think that this specific thing or this scenario or this act that you're involved in, maybe you're thinking it's okay, you know, that you've kind of argued yourself into that place where you're, where you're justifying it, right? And you're saying, well, it's, it's not that bad. And then your friends come along and they agree with you and they kind of reinforce that. And then the world comes along and says, you know what, it's not that bad. And that's why we need the Bible, that's, that's why we need to let God in so that he can show us what is right and what is wrong. Now, I remember um, when our girls were young and when you're, when you're preparing for a baby, um, you, you, you do this thing called baby-proofing your house. There's uh, latches and soft edges and screens and guards and those plug socket thingies that you, that you shove in the plug. Why is that? Why do we do this? Because babies can hurt themselves. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but God has chosen not to human-proof this world. There's all sorts of sharp edges and hot surfaces and dangers and risks. You see, if God human-proofed this world, then we could never do anything to harm ourselves or others. But we would lose our genuine freedom to choose. We would be walking around like robots saying, I love you, God. But it would never really mean anything because we could never choose otherwise. But God wanted a genuine relationship with us, which means that there needs to be a genuine choice, which means that we have to have freedom to take courses of action that leads us to smacking our heads on the, on the hard surfaces of life or, or resting our hands on the hot surfaces of, of, of our existence. Um, that this freedom means that, that, we, that, that we have to be able to hurt ourselves and hurt others. 
And even though God hasn't human-proofed this world, God has given us a way to navigate our way through life. It's a handbook of warnings and rewards, and it's known as the Bible. Psalm 19, verse 11, by them your servant is warned, in keeping them is great reward. And here's where we start to learn the secret of resisting temptation and discovering our deliverance from evil, and it's through reading the Bible. Now, this may seem to you overly simplistic or rather offensive, maybe. Perhaps it's a boring answer. Well, I'm sorry if this is the case, but this, this word, this book, is the feast that God has prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. And what a feast it is. Listen to verse 7 of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Is your soul in need of refreshment? Then read the word. Read, read, read the word. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Are you in need of wisdom, of someone to guide you through the labyrinth of life? Then eat God's table that he's prepared for you. Read the word. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Are you lacking joy right now? Is your joy on a low ebb? Are you suffering from a malaise of the soul? Then you need joy. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And what is the source of that joy? Well, according to Psalm 19, the precepts of the Lord, that's the source. His teachings, his truth, his word. So read the word. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Are you lost in darkness, stumbling around? Are you, are you stuck even right now in a maze of sin and you're hopelessly lost? Maybe the birds have eaten those breadcrumbs that you hoped to, to, to find your way out and you're stuck and you're lost and you're hopeless and you don't know how to get out. Read the word. Read the word. The commands of the Lord are radiant, they glow, they, they shine, they sparkle. They make you go, wow. You need to read. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Psalm 119, 127 says this, I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold and And listen to this, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. Learning to identify wrong paths start with considering God's precepts right. Friends, this is Sunday school all over again. It's simplistic, isn't it? It's almost offensive. Read the Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Friends, the answer to your malaise, the answer to your sin, the answer to your suicidal thoughts, the answer to your anger, anger issues, the, anger, uh, the answer to your wrong thinking, the answer to your lack of wisdom, the answer to your lack of joy, it all starts here. Because here is where God reveals himself to us. Aidan Wilson Tozer said this, The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men and women to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God that they may enter into him, that they 
may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. Oh, that makes me long. That makes me hunger. And it's all in here. The Bible leads us to God. It's not an end in itself. Psalm 19 verse 9. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Do you want to see God as he truly is? Do you want to have your heart inspired to worship him in all his glory and purity and holiness? If so, then read verse 9. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them righteous. Friends, this word, this law, these precepts, these commands are what you need. You need to get into the Bible of God so that the God of the Bible can get into you. Let me say that again. You need to get into the Bible of God so that the God of the Bible can get into you. You need to open the pages of this book so that God can open the, the rooms of your heart. You need to blow the dust off this book so that the Holy Spirit can blow through the stale areas of your life. Now, you might have noticed that I'm going backwards through Psalm 19. Well, if you did, then well spotted. It's a bit like sewing. Okay, Nathan does illustrations with, with uh, drywall and hammers. I do illustrations with sewing. That's him. This is me. And it's okay. Anyways, the only way to fix a sewing mess is to go backwards, is to retrace your steps over and under and through. And it's frustrating work and slow work and painstaking work, but it's the only way to do it unless you choose to snip the thread, the thread and start all over again, which of course is a chore in itself because then you have to re-thread the needle, which usually ends up with me wanting to punch someone in the face. It's so frustrating. And so we have to go backwards. And so right now we're kind of retracing our steps back through Psalm 19. Verse, verse 13, near the end, shows us the mess we're in. Some of us are in major messes. And we cannot see how we will ever be able to extricate ourselves from them. Financial messes. Emotional messes. Relationship messes. Sexual messes. Spiritual messes. So many messes. And so we need to retrace our steps. We need to back up from, from the mess of verse 13 to the solution of verse 7. And that's what it means to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We need to back up that path. We need to hit rewind. And the solution is falling in love with the Bible with God's word. When your car is in a ditch, you don't keep driving forward. That only gets you in more trouble. You need someone to pull you out, to pull you backwards. Friends, do you have any willful sins in your life? Then let God pull you backwards. Friends, do you have any hidden faults? Let God pull you backwards through Psalm 19. Do you have any errors in your life? then let God pull you out. Maybe like in Psalm, uh, in Matthew 6, 13, you feel that you're being led into temptation. You can feel the pull on your heart even now and you know what I'm talking about. 
And you know that Satan is working over time. And you know that the flesh is drawing you into its vortex. And it's at that precise moment, in that very situation, that that millisecond that God gives you a way out, that God prepares an alternate meal for you in the presence of your enemies. And I'm not talking about a dry crust or leftovers or a moldy peach. I'm talking about a spread. I'm talking about a feast. And it's all in here. You cannot overcome temptation without the sword of the spirit which is the word of god now psalm 19 verse 10 says of this feast um, that they are more precious than gold than much pure gold they are sweeter than honey than honey from the honeycomb you know those moments when you have a craving for chips or for chocolate or for popcorn or for pizza whatever it is now for me it's peanut butter spread on the celery stick or a chunk of cheese, that will make me happy for a long time. Well, just as we have physical cravings, our soul has cravings too. Our soul has a sweet tooth, and the only thing that can satisfy it is the honey sweetness of God's word. So eat it, read it, nibble on it, ingest it, cram it in your mouth, get as much as you can. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Our Father frees us as we follow him. As we choose him and his word, he empowers us to say no to sin. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. Are you sick and tired of your ungodliness and your worldly passions? Well, there's hope. You can be taught to say no. It's a thing that you learn. Our Father feeds us as we walk by faith, verse 11. Our Father forgives us as we forgive, verse 12. And our Father frees us as we follow him, verse 13. Three conditional promises, three great promises. Now it's up to you, your choice. And this is where Jesus ends the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. And it feels incomplete, right? Because we're so used to the rejigged Lord's Prayer. You know that one that says, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen? Well, that's not the Lord's Prayer. But because we're so used to it, it feels like something's missing. But yours is the kingdom and so on and so on was not part of Jesus' original prayer. Some well-meaning scribe probably added it later on with some mix and matched words from 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11. But Jesus' prayer template that he teaches us here never ended with a glorious vision of God and his kingdom and his power and his glory. It ended with the stuff of life. Jesus' prayer in Matthew 6 It doesn't end with the word amen. It ends with the word evil. Isn't it funny how we think that a MacGyvered together prayer is better than Jesus' actual words? Isn't it interesting how we think that we can improve on what Jesus said? 
Now, I'm not saying that we should never pray this rejigged Lord's Prayer. You know, it's still great and it's still true and it's still in the Bible. Um, but, but, it's, but it's not what Jesus taught us. And I think that it's, you know, like I said, I think it's interesting that, that uh, we think this version of the prayer is a better prayer than Jesus' actual words. And I think that the reason why we think this is because we suffer from sitcom syndrome. Now, the whole idea of a sitcom is that within 30 minutes or less, there's a scenario and there's a problem, and the problem gets solved and everyone's happy. And I think that the scribe who first, who first added those words from 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11 to, to Jesus' prayer, I think that that scribe suffered from sitcom syndrome. He couldn't stand the lack of resolution at the end of the prayer. He couldn't handle the tension. He had to resolve it somehow. Jesus, you cannot leave us with, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There, there has to be more than that. What about you know, the kingdom and the power and the glory? And, but, but that's where Jesus leaves, leaves it. He ends the prayer where he does with us in the middle of life being tempted and tested and having to choose between following the path of sin or calling out to God for help. And I love Jesus for this because this, friends, is real life. It's too easy when we're in the middle of the struggle of life to just fast forward to heaven. But when we ignore the reality of now, and only focus on future hope, however real that hope is, then we're missing out on experiencing God's faithfulness in this moment. When we say, it doesn't really matter because one day I'll fly away, O glory, then we're missing seeing God's kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus doesn't give us a neatly wrapped up prayer with kingdom and power and glory and amen. He leaves us in the ambiguity of the moment of decision. Yes, friends, of course, the kingdom and the power and the glory are God's. And yes, it is forever and ever. And yes, amen. But that's not the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. That's not the prayer that Jesus taught us. The prayer that Jesus teaches us is willing to enter into the mess of the now, into the mess of this moment with us, and to lead us to experience God's faithfulness Right here, right now. You see, that MacGyvered Lord's Prayer with all those extra words, that's a linear prayer. It goes straight through to the end. It starts in heaven and it ends with God's glory. Amen. It's linear. It's a sitcom with everything neatly resolved in six lines. But the real Lord's Prayer of Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11 is not linear. It's a loop it ends with, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And how do I resist temptation? By remembering that God is my father, that his name is holy, that he is in heaven, and that he's bringing his kingdom. In other words, the answer to the end of the prayer is the beginning of the prayer. It's a loop. It's a framework of prayer that leaves, leads us into deeper circles of intimacy with our Father, like a, a spiral staircase going down and down and down, deeper and deeper. It's not, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, wrap up, wash our hands and move on. It's, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because you are our Father who is in heaven. 
whose name is holy, let your kingdom come. It's a prayer that's comfortable with remaining in the tension. Friends, God is not a God of the sitcom. He's a God of the epic. He sees you in the battle. He sees you scarred and weary. He sees you on the verge of throwing in the towel. He sees you sick and tired with being sick and tired of sin. He sees you and he comes alongside you to rescue you. And so if this morning is the time when you choose to follow Jesus for the first time, or if you want to recommit yourself to him to say, Lord, I choose you once again, then simply click the button that says, I commit my life to Jesus. Then we will reach out to you and help you in these next steps. Friends, God is in the room waiting for you. God is in this book waiting for you. So close the door and open the book. And then pray simply because he already knows. God frees those who follow him. Choose to follow him and experience his incredible freedom. Choose this day to follow him.